The birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed, there is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, You will will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. May God bless the reading of this word, and would you pray with me? God, I received word this morning of a a child in Northfield who I don't know but is in the hospital, and uh, the father asked not for a pastoral visit, but that perhaps our church would pray for the little one. And so we lift him up to you and ask for your healing, for your peace, for your strength, and that this little one might be filled with your Holy Spirit as well. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, God, to receive the word you have for us today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a tradition in our house to set up one of those little villages this time of year. We haven't set it up yet, (laughs) but we might. We'll see. 
Sometimes not everything gets done. But when we do set up this little village, I stand back and I look at it and it's, it's kind of fun to see. It's pretty cool. My kids get up close and they pick up the little figures and they will point out some little feature, some incredible detail about the, the set. This song, this poem that Luke gives us from Zechariah is kind of like one of those villages. You can step back and, and, and really be impressed by its breadth. But you can also get in close and you can see some of the detail. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to pick up just a piece of this poem, this song, from this incredible story. I mean, by the way, I wish I could see what it was like while they were all playing charades to figure out the baby's name. That would have been fun to watch. But I want to pick up a piece of this poem and song, point out a little bit of the detail so we might see some of the powerful depth that is in this song, a song filled with so much hope. That's what it's filled with. There's a lot of detail. For example, the wording of enemies in this song is very similar to the wording of enemies in Exodus when God parts the waters to free those who were enslaved and to bring judgment upon their oppressors. The songs they sing about enemies are similar to this one. The words, we have been rescued so that we can serve God without fear in Zechariah's song takes us back to the words that Moses spoke to Pharaoh. Let my people go so they can worship God in the wilderness. The reference to an oath that God swore to Abraham draws us back to Genesis 15. I was just shocked that the commentators I read this week didn't go to Genesis 15. Like, what are you... Anyway, that's just for me to get in a huff about, I guess. That mysterious and sacred ritual, if you know the story, where Abraham sacrifices um, animals, lays them in rows, and God puts Abraham to sleep, walks among the parts. That's the oath. Abraham wondered, how can I know for sure, God, that these incredible things you're promising can be true? The next thing he knows, he's seeing this vision of God walking among these parts. Even the opening line that Zechariah gives us, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And I kept thinking of that song the kids sang last year. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel. Sometimes you do things in a sermon for yourself. And there's about 20 or so verses in the Old Testament, exact same wording. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And in those settings, it's always about a king. David is at the end of his life, King David, and he's wondering what's next as there is some, you know, power struggles and who will be the next king. And it is settled that it will be Solomon. And what words does David say? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Or the Psalms that say, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. They're about kings and up, upright and righteous kings. Let me take this opportunity also to say, I, is that William? 
I was literally just going to say, I love the sound of babies. And I mean that. I mean that. I love the sound of babies in church. Especially now, I'm in good grief. Baby John and baby Jesus. It's hope. And so what we have here in this poem is regal, kingly, up uh, a language that speaks of a national hope for a king. There's a lot of detail here, but the piece I want to pick up today is this one. God has visited his people. Hmm. God has visited his people. In the Bible, when God visits a person or a people... Or when God visits the actions of oppressors, it means that God is intervening to change the trajectory of their lives. When God visits, uh, God is about to transform your circumstance, to change your destiny. When God visits, the intervention is a blessing or it is a curse. And God visits His people. Translators struggled to communicate the punch that this term packs. Often this word will be translated with things like, I have indeed visited you, or uh, God remembered, or watched over, or I have decided to visit, or I hereby visit, or to attend to, or I will visit. They struggle with the language. This, for example, is the term that is used When Sarah is about to conceive a child, Sarah, wife of Abraham, barren in old age, but they're promised a child. And it says, Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah. Her life would never be the same, and neither would the life of that nation. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, uh, Ruth had left her home because there was famine in the land, and as she is uh, an outsider, a foreigner in a foreign land, she loses her husband, she loses her sons. And then she hears that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread, so she went back to Bethlehem. But if you read the story, you read on, you know God didn't just visit to give them bread, because through Ruth, God visited his people to give them a king. Ruth is the great-grandma of the great King David of Bethlehem. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph is prophesying. Joseph is prophesying. We don't always think about Joseph as a prophet, but he certainly did that. He's prophesying to his brothers. He says, "Um, I'm about to die, but surely the Lord will visit you and bring you out of this land of Egypt. Surely the Lord will visit you and bring you out of the land. What a prophecy. And that prophecy finds its fulfillment in Exodus 3.16. Where God says to Moses, you know, Moses is just kind of wandering around. He sees this burning bush and he hears his voice. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I am going to rescue and free my people who are enslaved. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring that message. Moses, me, I can't, I can't, not going to believe me. And God says to Moses, you gather the elders of Israel and you tell them that the God of their fathers has appeared to you, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you tell them, I have surely 
visited them and what has happened to them. A little side note, I, for the life of me, cannot completely figure out why translators don't translate the word there as visit. Even the lauded ESV translates it something different. I mean, it's such a clear fulfillment of Joseph's prophecy. And the, and the Hebrew um, construction is identical. For those of you keeping grammatical uh, notes at home, it's the infinitive construct, the exact same Hebrew construction. I will surely visit my people, and I have surely visited my people. A, a fulfillment of Joseph's prophecy. Mm. And then it gets better. Exodus chapter 4. When Moses does go to the people, uh, here's a fun little tidbit too. So Moses is going to the people, and you know his wife, the, for that journey, she rode on a donkey. I think it's interesting. It never says Mary rode on a donkey, but it made me think of that. And so now the people are gathered, and they hear that their God, the God of their fathers, has appeared to Moses, and he has some miracles uh, up his sleeves, and he shows them the miracles, and it says this, when the people heard, Exodus chapter 4, verse 30, 31, when the people heard that God, what God had said to Moses, and when they saw the miracles that God empowered him to do, the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the sons and the daughters of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down and they worshiped. That's what the Magi did, too. Zechariah is singing for us that God will visit his people in Jesus. A great visitation. Jesus is God's great visit. The true visit that creation has longed for. I know that some of us uh, have been reading Luke's... Hey, I know it's warm in here. Wake up. Open the back door, somebody. I mean it. Who's our ushers? Raise your hand. Open those doors up. There we go. See, he's with me. Or she. I know it's warm in here. You can send your emails to rryden at amazechurch.org. <laughs> Because now I'm getting to Jesus. And I want to make sure we hear it. Because he's our hope. He is our hope. Jesus is God's great visit. The visit that creation has been longing for. I know some of us have been reading Luke, 24 chapters in Luke, 24 days in Advent, chapter a day. And in Luke, we read about what this visit looks like. What does the visit mean? How is the trajectory of this people going to change? Yes, even the trajectory of all people, for all who receive him, he gave the right to become a son, to become a daughter of God. That is good news. In Jesus, God visited the blind and the poor. Jesus was anointed to proclaim good news to them. In Jesus, God visited sinners. In the book of Luke, these people are called sinners. And God visits them in Jesus. Yes, even notorious sinners. And some thought that a visit from God to these sinners would mean expulsion or excommunication. Boy, were they wrong. Because when God visits sinners in the person of Jesus, sinners become God's friend. 
John said, repent, for the kingdom of God is upon us. And when a sinner repents, you're a friend of God. This visit was a warning. In Jesus, God visited the leaders, and, and God visited the religious teachers who made worshiping God a burden, who put people, I'm sorry, who put tradition ahead of people, even ahead of justice and righteousness. In Jesus, God visited what was happening to uh, his people, even in the spiritual realm. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus bound the strong man. He was a great warrior in the battle against Satan and battle against evil. He's bringing it down. In Jesus, God's visit brought healing and forgiveness and of sins, reconciliation with God, peace, love, a way to live, a release of captives, freedom to the oppressed. Yes, even God's jubilee. Amen. And so... Someone's getting excited. Where is our hope? I already let the cat out of the bag, but where is our hope? Where is the hope that any of us have? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in his reign. Our hope is in the one who made us, who redeemed us, who loves us, as Isaiah foretold long ago. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. God, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Because the yoke of burden and the staff that is pressed on their shoulder and the rod of their oppressor has been broken. And every boot, every boot a warrior wears to trample and every garment used in battle, they'll be burned. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth to evermore. Praise God for that word. This is our hope. Our hope is in the one who taught us to love God with all our heart and with all of our strength and with all of our might, with all of our soul. Our hope is in the one who taught us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Our hope is in the one who said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Our hope is in the one who calls out to all who are weary and burdened and who gives them rest. Our hope is in the one who made us and redeems us. Our hope is in God's Messiah who came to us faced the giants, gave up his life, yes, even to death on a cross. 
Our hope is in the one who conquered death when God raised him from the grave on the third day. Church, does God still visit his people? Because I know you know the answer. Is it possible to hear that God visits what happens on the earth? Does it still happen? Church, is the light piercing the darkness? Even in our world now? Is there a great morning light rising from heaven? Is there a light even for those who sit in darkness? That's right. Is it possible for this light to guide us? Is there hope for us? Is there hope for them? Can this, God, this light guide us on the pathway of peace? Yes. Not bad, Norwegians. We'll try again later. This light is Jesus. Let's pray. God, for those of us who are just filled with joy, happiness, warmth, I pray that that joy, happiness, and warmth would be something we give to you. And that we would rejoice and be happy and have a warm heart because of Jesus. And for those of us who feel pain, depression, loneliness, I pray that all these things, God, when we are not able to hand them to you, we would find ourselves wrapped in the arms and the love of Jesus who comes to us. That you would meet us there, even in the shadow of death and darkness. And that we would see this great light given to us because of your tender mercies. May we all come to know Jesus Christ as Savior by letting him in and by hearing his spirit. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.